passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Episode of Thunderstruck, our look back at the greatest matches of Jushin Thunder Liger, as picked by each and every unique standalone guest of this series. And I'm very excited about uh, this this week's guest. She is a prolific writer for uh, with Spandex on Uprocks.com, for DeadlockPW.com, MindGames.LimitedRun.com, and maybe more more places that I'm not aware of. Uh, she also has one of my favorite Twitter handles. Uh, Talking about wrestling, she is uh, Emily Pratt. Emily, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yes. Did I miss anything, by the way? No, that's that's it. I was right. You got I. My first thing for Deadlock was published today, so I'm very flat. Yeah, I just saw it was about the uh, the yeah. passions inspired by deathmatch wrestling. I thought it was a really yeah. good piece. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, Emily, let's for people who may not be aware of you like what was your start as a fan of professional wrestling and then maybe how did it migrate into japanese wrestling and how did you get involved with becoming a writer about professional wrestling um well i started watching pro wrestling uh when i was a kid i think i was i saw it at like a friend's house after soccer practice and um we'd watch like the mostly the um like early 2000s uh smackdown and we were big marks for Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. And then um, I got out of it when I was a little older and WWE got like, they were already like very sexist when I was watching it. But then I started to like, they got worse and I up connected that to myself in my brain as I got older. <laughs> so I was like, oh, wait, that's, that's me. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that they're treating this way as well. And I stopped watching wrestling. Um, I didn't really, I didn't know anybody who, who watched indie wrestling or anything. So I didn't really know about like the options besides WWE. Um, and then later, I think somebody just showed me like a video of something going on with like the shield that I thought was cool. And I started looking at what was going on with wrestling. Um, and I I got into Japanese wrestling looking into, like, what other Eddie Guerrero stuff I had not seen before um, out of, like, nostalgia for my favorite childhood wrestler. Um, and that was definitely my first exposure to, like, Jushin Liger. 
of junior heavyweight wrestling because I, the first New Japan I saw was um, Eddie Guerrero in Best of the Super Juniors. Uh, and then I got into other other Japanese wrestling through just like, I guess I, I just looked up like what's happening. Oh, Shinsuke Nakamura is really cool. And um, just became like very obsessed with it and looked at other companies too. Uh, as for writing about wrestling, um, I was trying to work in uh, theater and that kind of internship working for like a local arts website. And one time I got them to let me write about a local indie wrestling show. Uh, and then I moved to California and met some of the people who work for with Spandex and mentioned that I had written about wrestling in addition to, to writing about other things. And they hired me on for a, a trial month um, and then hired me on. Well, I guess I'm, I'm not like a staff, I'm like a freelancer contributes to them, but now I've been there for almost uh, over a year and a half now and uh, ended up like branching out and, um, writing about wrestling for other places. And that just really, uh, that's just a lot of, it's a lot of what I do now. So that's how that all came about. Well, one thing I want to say, like, uh, what I like enjoy about your writing is that it's a refreshing kind of voice in wrestling discourse, because a lot of the, you know, like perspectives that we talked about when wrestling is discussed from fans is from a male perspective. And like you brought up this whole idea of like, you got turned off by WWE programming because of uh, the misogyny and like sexism that exists in like the attitude era, which, and I totally agree with you about that. So for me, like reading your writing, whether it's on Twitter or it's in your magazines, your articles for the different websites you write for, it's like, there's this really different perspective that I feel I can learn from as a man. Like, okay, maybe I didn't see that angle. Like I can recognize blatant, like sexism and misogyny that exists in, in professional wrestling throughout its history. But maybe there's this aspect here. Oh, I didn't realize that that maybe women would have a problem with that. So I really appreciate that perspective from someone like you, Evelyn. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it, it seems like there is uh kind of something going on with, with people who are interested in like reading wrestling blogs and podcasts is, I think people are saying like, I mean, just just like there's been more of a a push for, I guess, different. Uh, this is mm, how <laughs> I'm just like, how do I? What's a good way to say this that isn't dumb? But um, yeah, it it seems like there's like a a very strong community of of like female fans and I guess fan, fans who haven't been catered to as much by wrestling especially like us wrestling um, that are like pretty vocal now, which it's, it's, yeah, it's cool to see like different, how, how people look at different things in, in wrestling, because I think like you respond to wrestling at, on such like a gut level that people with different life experiences sometimes have just way different uh, ways of responding to it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm all for like trying to discover, like you know, new female voices in like you know wrestling you know 
journalism writing and as well as people of color i'm i myself i'm like i'm asian yeah. so like i bring a unique this you know perspective to it i think different from like a lot of the people who are established writers in wrestling they tend to be white males like myself and like Wei Ting over at postwrestling.com we're like when we do a show together we make a point of like oh we're we're two asian guys talk about wrestling you know, it's, it's really interesting it's, you don't really hear that usually it's predominantly a white male voice on doing wrestling podcasts so the, here we are like i'm i'm a i'm a korean canadian asian male like who lives in japan talking with a, a a younger woman who's like who writes about wrestling from a very unique perspective, like much different from my from mine because I'm an I'm older and I think I have this kind of like my fandom kind of you know colors my perception of wrestling as you're younger than me as well. So your your perception of wrestling, your history as a fan is different than mine. So I think is I think that's always interesting to have those kinds of discourses like and have them recorded and have them disseminated to a larger audience. Yeah, yeah. And so let, let's talk about Jushin Thunder Liger. So you mentioned like your fandom of when Eddie Guerrero uh, made you seek out his matches that he had in Japan, in New Japan Pro Wrestling as a, as a junior heavyweight. He was, of course, the second incarnation of the Black Tiger gimmick. And he did a lot of work with people like Jushin Thunder Liger, El Samurai, Shinjiro, Tani, Koji Kanemoto, uh, Wild Pegasus, uh, Dean Malenko, Fit Finley, and people like that. So Liger specifically, what was you, your first match that you saw with Liger that you remember vividly? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. I should have <laughs> figured that out before. Um, I think it must've been like, see that I really remember vividly. I'm going to look up like what it is like this. Cause I remember what the, the match is, but I don't remember like what, uh, what show it was from? It was from the super. The one I really remember is from. I think the first Super J Cup. The nineteen ninety four one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was okay. Yeah, it was the the final with the uh, Liger versus Hayabusa because. Uh, I guess just because that was like so unique. Um, so I had seen a bunch of, I guess both them being like the kind of lucha influenced, um, but also like very Japanese, uh, like the Japanese junior heavyweights of that time with like the costumes and the masks. So it like looked really different. Um, and then it was just a really cool match. Um, like one of, uh, just a really exciting one of that era. Um, I think that was, uh, the first one that I thought was really cool with, with Liger in it. Yeah, that's a, that is a memorable match. I, I do believe I could correct me if I'm wrong, anyone out there, but I do believe that's like their only time they've had a singles match against each other because, uh, I think Liger was trying to get Hayabusa to, to leave FMW, which is where his home promotion was, to come join New Japan. But Hayabusa just didn't want to leave. He was very loyal to FMW. And I think, as far as I recall, this created a big rift between Liger and Hayabusa because they, apparently they were friends beforehand. And then they did the Super the Super J Cup 94. They had the match. And that's a really great match. It's, I can understand why that would stick out in your memory. And then 
yeah, but he didn't want to leave FMW, so then it created this big strain, so they never really interacted after that. But hopefully they, they patched things up before, you know, Hybris' tragic accident and, you know, like death recently. So I'm hoping that's what happened. But that's a great uh, starting point for someone to get into Jushin Thunder Liger. Uh, for me, actually, this match that you picked would be one of the earliest matches that I ever saw Jushin Thunder oh. Liger in, where, where I was like, who is this guy? If it was the match uh, prior to this, uh, this is the rematch of these two guys that uh, you're, you're going to talk. I'm going to let you introduce it. So who? what match did you pick, Emily, to talk about with me on Thunderstruck today? Um, I picked uh, Jushin Thunder Liger versus Flying Brian Pillman um, for the WCW Light Heavyweight Championship at Super Brawl 1992. Yes, yeah, so this is uh, from February 29th, 1992 from, I believe, the Mecca Arena in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, and apparently the attendance was about 5,000 people, according to Cage Match. And our commentators, this is one of my favorite commentating teams, is uh, Jim Ross and Jesse, the body Ventura. I think they these two had an amazing chemistry with one another. And we'll talk about their commentary throughout the, the course of me discussing the match with you. Uh, the, the the ring announcer, one of my favorites, Gary Michael Capetta. Uh, what, let's just quickly, like, what do you think about the, the setup here in WCW and like the kind of the, the atmosphere created by the, the fans in attendance? Uh, the atmosphere is, I think it's like, uh, it's, okay, it's like what you would expect for an opening, uh, like, cruiserweight or light heavyweight championship match. Like, even now, on, like, so many times WWE pay-per-views open with those, and it's always, like, even though it's, like, people people know the, the characters and stuff, like, pretty pretty chill crowd at the beginning and then they warm up like halfway through when they start doing crazier stuff um and i don't know it's a better better atmosphere towards i guess everything about how they treat liger is like kind of better than a lot of other like japanese or mexican wrestlers uh in the u.s uh back in the day so that's that's good. Um, so oh, overall, I think this is kind of like the atmosphere that that you would expect for this yeah, match. I, I think so. I I would I would even say that maybe this match is a little bit better received than what you would see in most junior heavyweight cruiserweight title matches in in the United States or in in Canada or really any kind of Western audience. I do think maybe UK fans are a bit better responsive, more responsive to like this kind of style of wrestling because a lot of their top stars are, are like smaller and mm-hmm. do both a lot more high flying stuff. So uh, Pillman, uh, we start the match and uh, of course you can find this match uh, on the WWE network. Don't try to find it on uh, new Japan world. It won't be on there. Uh, of course, because the WWE owns the rights to all the WCW footage. Uh, Pillman comes out first and he gets a big response from the crowd. He's been in WCW for a while at this point. He's, he's been pushed as a top guy in the company. Uh, Liger comes out second. He is the current WCW light heavyweight champion. He defeated Brian Pillman uh, earlier on, on Christmas Day in 1991 at the Omni in Atlanta. And uh, yeah, what I, I did think that Liger got a bit of a response because he had been doing some matches uh, to set up the, the rematch with Pillman. He had the match at the Omni 
prior to this. Um, but like, definitely, Pillman is the bigger star in this match. Yeah, definitely. Uh, from here, uh, the match starts with uh, some with both guys trading arm locks with each other, and they're dodging each other by doing leapfrogs and things like that. It's a pretty standard opening to a wrestling match. Uh, Pillman's strategy is clearly to uh, mat wrestle with Weiger to kind of ground him, and this is a comment. This is uh, mentioned by both Jesse Ventura and Jim Ross on commentary. Emily, yeah. Um... Yeah, the way they they present these guys, I think, is really uh, it's it's uh, inter. I like the way that they present them. It's like very, uh, I think, as like sports based as you can get for like junior heavyweight wrestling because they're talking about. I mean, even though Liger, like <laughs> Jesse Ventura, compares Liger to the Predator as if the Predator is real and jesse ventura fought the predator in real life he's also they also are like oh he is a great great amateur wrestler too um so i think they they do a good job of presenting this as like two very similar athletes even though they look they look very different yeah jesse uh mentioning like that he fought the predator like it was a real fight or something like he he you know conveniently forgot to mention that he was killed yeah but yeah he's a wrestler he can't he can't mention that he got beat so yeah uh yeah definitely it's an interesting contrast isn't it like with pillman you can see it because he was he used to play football and like he was trained by the the hart family so you can like put you know you can put it out there like oh he's a great amateur wrestler he's he's doing a real sports background with him with liger he's dressed like a power ranger right so Mm -hmm. it's oh yeah this guy's a great amateur wrestler too what why is he dressed like you know, a cartoon character. It, 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 mm-hmm. I, I, I actually love that kind of like contrast with what is behind Liger, Keiichi Yamada, and what is presented as like this this gimmick, this like really amazing, colorful gimmick that has appeared in Japanese anime. But you know, because you know Keiichi Yamada is such such a great wrestler that you have to take him seriously. Like you, it now becomes like this costume, this image is now you know like goes hand in hand with like amazing wrestling and not with like some cartoon character that fights giant monsters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from here, uh, Pillman picks up the pace with a head scissors takedown, a drop kick and a sort of basement drop kick uh, through the ropes that sends Liger crashing into the barrier. Uh, referee Mike Atkins uh, prevents Pillman from going to the top rope though. So he won't be able to do like a, a big dive. But which is, I think it's okay. You don't have to do it necessarily in the, within the first five minutes of the match. Uh, Liger later regains the advantage with a top rope moonsault, a drop kick that sends Pillman to the floor and psychs out Pillman uh, by doing a rebound handstand backwards flip. And I thought, wow, this is like the like early like Liger is very flippy as opposed to like mm-hmm. post ninety six post brain surgery uh liger that we see where he becomes more of a technical wrestler and i don't know like if if you were if you had seen like or noticed the contrast between the two versions of liger like pre post you know uh, brain tumor surgery and post brain tumor surgery yeah i think it's it's pretty clear like this is is the the most high-flying era of liger definitely like it's pretty pretty noticeable um but I think there's like you you don't uh I, I don't know why I never put together like when I always forget like when he had the surgery. So 
I was like, oh, he got older. <laughs> I, I always forget when he had the surgery. But yeah, if this is like, it's looking at Lager, I never like, I never think of him as being young, even though he is like very young here. I always <laughs> like iconic masked wrestlers are just like, for some reason, even though I know that they are real people, they're always like ageless to me until I see part of their face. Like, like you can even like, like stalker Hollywood, like Hollywood stalker Ichikawa to me is like 400 years old, even though it's like, he's like 44 and is just wearing makeup. It's weird to me. I don't know. I don't know why my brain does this, but anyway, this is, yeah, this is clearly like young prime athlete liger here. Yeah. I, I think like, this is where like maybe our point of views are very different because I always think of like guys like stalker Ichikawa and, and Liger and like maybe like for example Dr. Wagner Jr. if we're using a, a lucha example like they with their masks on I think they're they must be still in like their their earlier mid 30s but no they're like in their 50s and once the masks come off it's like okay like when my when Liger wears his broadcasting mask where it's not the full face mask and you can see his his eyes <laughs> and you can see his mouth it's like okay he's he's in he's he's probably a granddad by now yeah he has to be and and it shows but when he's wearing the full body suit and he's and he's wearing the full face mask it's like i don't know how how old is it i just take i'm just taking back to like 1994 and that's like okay he's the liger of 94 95 96 which is like my my prime years for liking liger so it, mm-hmm. it's it's interesting that you think of them as like eternally old and I'm yeah. as, a, as eternally uh young so it, it's really a interesting contrast to the way our, our brains think about things like that. But uh, from here, uh, like this, this really gets the crowd fired up. All these like hot move sequences from Liger, so you can tell like the like the crowd is really warming up to Juice and Liger because they're like, I really think that this is like for them. Wow, I've never seen this this kind of wrestling before. I've never seen a guy who looks like this do these kinds of things. I'm totally getting into this. Yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah. When he breaks out the moonsault and stuff, they yeah definitely pops the crowd, and it's like, well, maybe you don't get what this costume is, but you know it's cool to see a flip like that. So yeah. they're into him now. <laughs> definitely, like like for me, when I, when I saw him do the backwards handstand backflip, I'm like, well, okay, like he, yeah. I, you never see that from him. You haven't seen that from him for for a long time. So it was really it popped me, and I've and I've been following Liger for a long time uh from here though uh Brian Pillman slows it down with a grounded abdominal stretch uh, which he then transitions into a head scissor uh Liger escapes and tries for the surfboard several times but Pillman is able to escape here I think for me like these surfboard attempts if they were attempted in front of a Japanese audience if they were done at Corican Hall you would have got a much different response because those fans would have been conditioned to know like this is one of Liger's signature spots but for for the crowd in in milwaukee they're not really responding as well which i'm not saying it hurts the match but for me it's like it's it's a real contrast to like how the american audience at that time would respond to like liger's moves versus like the, the japanese audience at the time yeah definitely it's uh i guess i noticed that more with um when when like today when maybe you'll see like some American indie guys go over to Japan and, and it's like people's first time seeing stuff. It's always interesting to see how people respond differently. Um, and now I think if you go, if it's like a Japanese guy or maybe a better known luchador going over to the U S 
people have seen them and so they react very dramatically to stuff like the the Romero special but here it's just like uh, it's like another move some people probably thought it was pretty cool <laughs> not a big deal to them no it's not uh, but I, I, you, you did bring up a great point that like in 2019 I think a lot of western audiences are far more familiar with Japanese talent and like their signature moves and it will respond accordingly versus like maybe fans in Japan who aren't familiar with like uh, a lot of the American wrestlers these days, which is, is, which is really strange to say because like it was kind of the opposite way back in the eighties and the nineties. I feel like a lot of the, you get a lot of coverage of American wrestling in, in like places like, you know, the, you know, what, what I think was shoe pro was still running back then. And the other like Tokyo sports and other mag- newspapers, and magazines that covered the, the wide world of wrestling for, for Japanese uh, viewers and stuff that, they would cover like, oh, these are the signature moves of this wrestler or this wrestler, or this wrestler from America. And then when they came over to Japan, they do the moves. They were like the Japanese audience, like, okay, I know who that is. Whereas even now with like streaming technology and the such, maybe there's a lot of people who who aren't familiar with the first time they see someone like Will Ospreay, for example, or the first time they see <laughs> Robbie Eagles in New Japan. Or if you know, I'm, I'm I'm trying to think like even like a good recent example like in Dragon Gate would have been Pac. Like when he came back after his run in the WB, there was a huge turnover from the time he left Dragon Gate and the time he came back. There was a lot of people who weren't familiar with him because he looked mm-hmm. so different. And also, like, his moveset. Like, I didn't... I think his first maybe two or three matches, people weren't responding to these things that Pac is well-known for because they don't remember him. And there's a... I feel there's a huge turnover every year with, with the fans in Dragon Gate. But after a while, they got educated. Okay, this, these are his signature moves, so this is what we're going to pop for we're going to respond to when Pac does these moves, but it wasn't the case, which is a really interesting like shift in tone from like who is more familiar with who now, like Japanese fans are more familiar with Japanese talent and, and only for the most part. And the uh, American UK Canadian audience is only, is really only familiar with like, is, is more familiar with Japanese talent now because of, because of streaming technology. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Do, is there less, uh, do you think is there like less awareness of or coverage of of like American wrestling or non Japanese wrestling in Japan now than there was or than there used to be? Uh, no, I well, I think WWE is the only thing that really is broadcast here uh, mm-hmm. to a large extent. It's it, like they have a license with uh, I think it's J Sky Sports, which is a, a cable network that you can order to watch sports on, including the WWE. It's interesting in in Japan, like WWE fans only like WWE wrestling. So the Japanese WWE fans don't watch New Japan Pro Wrestling. They don't watch All Japan or Dragon Gate or any of the Joshi. They only watch WWE. They're familiar with like like when Kenta signed. They're familiar with who Kenta is, but they're responding mm-hmm. to the fact they're cheering for the fact that he's joined the WWE. They're responding to the fact that Kairi Sane joined the WWE. That Io Shirai joined the WWE. Like they might not have known who they were or followed them in their home promotions in Japan. And and like a lot of the, the the Japanese fans of New Japan Pro Wrestling or other promotions don't really follow the WWE, but they might read about them in uh, Weekly Pro Wrestling, which covers the WWE in the back of the magazine. So usually all the coverage of American wrestling is done in the back of the magazine. So you'll follow them. And of course, they get more coverage now because of people like you know, Hideo Tommy and Shinsuke Nakamura and Asuka and Kairi Sane and Io Shirai going over there. But mm-hmm. 
no, it, it's still dominated. Like all the press is dominated towards Japanese promotions, in particular, of course, New Japan Pro Wrestling. But uh, getting back to the match, uh, Pillman uh, uh, catches Liger with a crucifix, and but only gets a two with that. Uh, Liger goes for a modified sunset flip, a two count. Uh, Pillman hits a great backdrop driver, a two count. Uh, Pillman hits the uh, turnbuckle with his left leg, and Liger starts to work it over, uh, including applying a figure four. So you had this really hot sequence of like pinfall attempt, pinfall attempt, pinfall attempt, but then Liger capitalizes on the mistake Pillman makes and just starts working over his leg, which I thought that's some really great ring psychology happening in this match at this point. Yeah, it's exci- It's like a very, very exciting uh, change of pace there. And looks very, looks looks very painful. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a good, it was a good figure four. I mean, yeah, my, my, figure four. One thing I really enjoyed while they're in the figure four, they start slapping each other in the face really hard. I thought, oh, that's that's really. I think it just raises the intensity level when you when you don't just have the guy in the figure four, but the person in the figure four, you know, pops up and just like starts yelling at his opponent. Or they just like start hitting each other really hard. For me, that really fires me up when I see a figure four leg lock leg lock spot. Yeah, that it's they. Yeah, I yeah. You always love to see people doing some additional like hitting in <laughs> submission moves. Definitely. Yeah, from here uh, they roll into the ropes, which prompts the uh, hold to be broken. Uh, Liger continues to work over the left leg of Brian Pillman. Uh, Pillman is able to fire back by hitting an enziguri, but Liger recovers very quickly from that. Uh, we get a big USA chance, uh, which just uh, just reminded me of how good uh, good old uh, wrestling jigganism is <laughs> in 1992. <laughs> I, I, you know what's funny? I mentioned this on a previous episode. Like, even in Canada, like, sometimes, sometimes you would get, like, with a wrestler like, for example, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, you would get USA chants in, in Canada or another patriotic wrestler would, would, would chant USA, especially if there's a, a non-North American wrestler on the other side of the ring. But for me, I'm always, like, in Canada, like, I'd be at, like, you know, Maple Leaf Gardens or, or the Air Canada Center. I'd be like, why are you people chanting USA? We are Canadians. I don't Wait, get Canadian it. people were doing. <laughs> yes, Canadian people were doing this. Wow. Like, I mean, not it's a, me. It's a fun chant, you know. It's a we have a good country name to to chant, but that's really weird. I don't. That, <laughs> I don't know why you were from camp. People from Canada would do that, but um, not me or my friends because we're we're smart yeah. enough to realize. Wait, we're, we're, wait, we're not Americans. We shouldn't yeah. be chanting. You say, if anything, we should be chanting for the other person, regardless if they're a heel <laughs> or not. But like, I, I don't know. Like for me, like. I find like, you know, jigganism is kind of not dead, but it's like really like kind of lessened in its intensity in the, in the two thousands now, Emily, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. It's definitely, it's like, it, it pops up selectively. Um, like, I don't know. They do, uh, I mean, they just did last, last year with, uh, I mean, Naito Jericho, they did a little, like, talking shit about Japan thing in that. Uh, and what happened in... There's been some in WWE. I mean, so, WWE and AEW, they, they've done some pretty dramatic, like, national anthem type stuff at the beginning of shows that made some people uncomfortable because it was so dramatic and were, like, 
post uh, Kaepernick NFL uh, protest stuff. And so when like AEW started, it was like, well, nobody, nobody's, I mean, nobody's making you have like a giant anthem thing at wrestling. It's not a real sport, but I mean, you know, uh, especially AEW starting, it was like, wow, this, this is something that they're going to do from day one, like at all in. But um, yeah, it's definitely less, definitely less than in like the early nineties though. I think it's still, it's still there sometimes, but yeah, definitely. Well, definitely. I think less from the like less from the fans i think there's less yeah. times that i hear the usa chance especially if there's a foreigners i think like people you know fans in america are, are like especially on an indie level are, are very appreciative of like oh wow these people came over to our to, to the states to wrestle in front of us we, oh we're gonna yeah. we're gonna cheer them I, I think in wwe you still get that because like that that's kind of narratives they'd like to push with like yeah these guys are from europe they're bad guys so you you know, mm-hmm. the crowd's going to respond with USA chance. But, like, as far as just as a quick comment to your AEW comment, like, I can see why they would do the National Anthem because, you know, I think that's probably a Cody thing because he's he's yeah. really into, like, old-school territorial wrestling stuff. And, and I'm sure he's big into, like, the whole, like, yeah, we got we to gotta book things like my dad did, like the, the, the heroic American hero versus the, the evil, like, you know, foreign bad guys that, you know, we're at, we're at, having a cold war with whether you know i'm sure once they get a chinese wrestler you're gonna push the hell out of that guy as a bad guy yeah, mark my words let me tell you that you know we'll see if that comes true but i'm guarantee you emily if they have a chinese character he's gonna be like he's gonna be like some trade official that's his character okay and they're gonna have, <laughs> and they're gonna have like i don't know 10 guy fight him or something like that even though he's not american he's he's actually a canadian but anyways we're, we're digressing here let's let's get back to the match here um uh pillman recovers from the uh oh well sorry sorry pa- uh, pillman counters a tilt whirl a backbreaker attempt from liger with a head scissors takedown uh but liger backdrops him over the top rope to the floor and follows up with a beautiful top rope somersault dive uh pillman recovers from this and hits a beautiful air, Pil- air pillman springboard clothesline he then suplexes liger over the top rope to the floor and i i want to go back to this air pillman i fucking Love this move. I remember the first time I saw it when he entered WCW, I think it was in a match against Lex Luger. And I thought, who is this guy? And where has he been? Because even as a Canadian, I was not watching Stampede Wrestling. So I didn't see the stuff he did with uh, Bruce Hart in the Bad Company tag team. So for me, like for me, Pillman is really up there with Liger as a pioneer of high-flying wrestling, in especially in the American scene. Yeah, definitely. It looks like... I mean, there aren't that many matches like this on the American scene, like before this. Uh, and this is not even like the era of W. I guess it's like the next era of like light heavyweight or cruiserweight wrestling in WCW that people really hype is like really introducing people to that. But this is, yeah, this is definitely like very historically important, this feud that they have going on which it seems like they recognized at the time. Oh, I definitely think this is a very, very influential match on a lot of fans. I think it's, it's a, it really prepares like the, the, the WCW fandom for when like they, when Eric Bischoff does decide to like, okay, we're going to sign a lot of like the luchadors and we're going to sign a lot of the, the talent from Japan, like Ultimo Dragon and, and bring in junior heavyweights, you know, via the relationship that they have with new Japan pro wrestling. Um, <laughs> 
Pillman follows up. Uh, so Liger's on the floor. P- Pillman follows up with a top rope crossbody block. Uh, Pillman misses a dive and hits the guardrail. Uh, Liger throws Pillman back into the ring and goes off the top rope, but Pillman catches him with a beautiful midair dropkick that like he's he's actually quite famous for doing on a lot of people, not just Liger. Uh, Pillman goes to the top and Liger counters with his own midair dropkick. So you're going to see like these two guys doing these mirror spots against each other. And at the time during this match, I, when I first watched it, I was like, oh my God, like, okay, Pillman, Pillman's perfect opponent for like his high flying style is Jushin Liger. Um, and Liger's at that time, I didn't know about the other guys in Japan, but like at that time, it's like Pillman's like, this guy's got to be his best opponent for the high flying stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. They look they look really evenly matched here. Look like very good, very yeah, very uh, good fit as rivals. From here, uh, Pillman hits a power slam, only gets a two count. Liger hits a German suplex with a bridge. It, it's not too common you see him doing like a German suplex. He only gets a two with that, unfortunately for him. Uh, Pillman blocks a superplex and sends Liger face first to the mat and hits Liger with a cross body block for a big two count. At this point, I got to say, this is probably the, what I call the crescendo crescendo of the match. Like the crowd is electric for this match. And like, they're, they're like living and dying from every big move that these two are doing against each other. Emily. Yeah, they definitely, this is, I say like the climax. Cause I think of it like, uh, the, like a movie or something. Um, yeah, they they have clearly like set this up really well. People are really excited. They're into everything that they're putting out there. Uh, from here, Liger hits a power bomb for a big two count, and I, I got to think that most of the fans in WCW were only used to seeing like guys like Sid Vicious and Big Van Vader do power bombs. So it must have been interesting for them seeing like a lighter guy, a smaller guy doing a power bomb. Yeah. Uh, probably a better one. Well, I can't. I can't. I can't say that. I I like Sid's power bomb. I like Vader's power bomb. So, but a, a a kind of variation meant for like a smaller guy to hit. Like he did it differently than either Sid or Vader did. Uh, Pillman counters another power bomb attempt with a weird looking roll up for a two. It looked like he botched the move, but like he was able to recover. But thankfully, that wasn't the finish because it would have been a really odd looking finish, Emily. Yeah, that was a on commentary. They call it modified this is the one yeah this is the one they call like a modified frankensteiner it's like oh yeah i guess that was supposed to that was like a rana into a roll-up type thing but it is it is weird but like i don't know it it works it works it was fine i'm, I'm surprised maybe like jim ross didn't bust out the bowling shoe reference but i guess he wasn't going to do that with like someone as 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 uh, good a friend as he was with uh, with Brian Pillman. Um, from here, Pillman goes for a DDT, only a two count. Uh, both guys ran their heads against each other, uh, and I thought, oh, that that looks terrible. Especially what we now know about like concussions. Like, yeah. Oh, I hope those guys were okay. Uh, Liger catches Pillman with a superplex or a big two count. Liger misses the diving headbutt, uh, and P- Pillman rolls him up with the Japanese rolling clutch, and he gets the one. Two, three. And I, I really love this finish, even though it seemed a little abrupt. But I like thinking about it. I was like, you know what? It's a perfect way to end the match. He beat Liger with uh, a, you know, a mat, a, a mat kind of combo pinning move. And I thought this is really good stuff. He didn't have to hit him with a big, you know, off the top rope move that he's known for. 
And I and I thought just a really great way to end the match. Your thoughts on the finish? Um, yeah, I think it looks good. I think it. Um, I mean, they're like so uh, evenly matched. I think for the most part in this, or they look so competitive in this match that it's a a cool ending because it's like it's. Uh, I mean, it's both like athletically cool to see and it's like uh whenever i see like a one of those like leg clutch or like bridging pins it always looks kind of like a smart strategic move so i think it's like it fits kind of at the end where they hug and it's like they are having this this rivalry based on like who is who is the better athlete so um I think it's a it's a very fitting ending, and it makes uh, it it makes Pillman look good. I think. Yeah, so there's definitely the, the fans agree with you because there's a big standing ovation from the crowd uh, for both guys. Uh, Pillman and Liger hug each other in a show of respect for each other, uh, and of course, Pillman is now the new WCW Light Heavyweight Champion. So uh, overall, like my feelings, I thought this was a really excellent match and really ahead of its time. It's a really groundbreaking match, I feel, and, and, and light years ahead of what they would be doing in WCW until about the, the Nitro era. And uh, U.S. wrestling, I think, really, it was, it was really good for the United States wrestling scene because I can't, I can't imagine, like, a lot of people watch this and then grew up in, like, in the later 2000s to be like, okay, watching this match, watching the WCW Cruiserweights, we're going to kill it on the indies. And so, like, you know, a lot of the wrestlers that you see coming through Ring of Honor in the early 2000s, low key, you know, Amazing Red, AJ Styles are you get you got to think they're all inspired by people like Brian Pillman and Jushin Liger and like later on the the Cruiserweights Emily. Yeah, definitely like um I I know like people who are in wrestling school now or like recently went through wrestling school in California um a lot of the matches they were told to watch were like this maybe not this match but like that the wcw cruiserweight stuff because it involves like high flying and technical wrestling um so i think this still uh is influential yeah it's definitely still influential today and let's let's uh get into the tail end of our episode here but let before we go i want to know what what do you feel about liger retiring this coming january at the the at the Russell Kingdom show. I think he's retiring on the, the January 5th show. That's what I've been hearing. Yeah, that's what I've been hearing too. Oh man, I am, I'm really sad. Like, <laughs> it seems like he should, especially, I think especially because he's like a cartoon or you, it's easier to see him as like a character rather than like a human. It's like, oh, why can't you wrestle forever? Um, but I think they've handled his, his retirement really well with him getting that last title shot and the feud with Suzuki that just brought back the uh, great uh, Kishin Liger reveal. And I feel like he's going to do something with Muta because they keep on, they've interacted like a couple times this year. I feel like they've got to do something. That's just a hunch though. That's not uh, facts, but I'm I am looking forward to his last match. I'm sure it's going to be with like another junior. I hope it's with like Hiromu Takahashi. Um but I don't know. That's my that's 
or maybe it'll be a big tag or something, but um, I'm very sad he's retiring, but I think, I think he's having like such a great last year. Yeah. So is your, is your, your guess is going to be, he's going to do something with uh, returning Hiromu Takahashi at Wrestle Kingdom for his retirement. That's it's like a guess, but it's also, I'm, I feel like he's going to, if not Hiromu, I think, uh, another significant like younger junior heavyweight and i feel like osprey is going to be busy doing something else i don't think they're going to do elp and i don't know who else i mean maybe they could do like you know my hope is yeah who do you think my my hope is that it's it's uh chris jericho and but he's not chris jericho he's super liger he he revives the super liger costume and he (laughs) and he wrestles Jason Dude, that would be that would be incredible. Like old, 2019 Chris Jericho as Super Liger. That oh my gosh. He has to redeem himself because that one match he had as Super Liger was yeah. the absolute shits. But like you know, get a little bit bit of the bubbly in Chris Jericho, and uh, he's ready to go. Put the get a new you know costume that actually fits him this time. You know, and then you know he yeah. he could take off his mask and he's like. You know, he's Kishin Jericho or something like that. Oh my god! Okay. Oh man. The, the, just thinking about like how hard Chris Jericho would go with with Kishin Jericho, like <laughs> that. Oh, that would be incredible. I hope that they don't do that because I think Jericho would overshadow Liger's retirement by being uh, hilarious, <laughs> but. Man, that's a really good idea. I bet Liger, if he if he if he listened to this, he'd be like, "That's a good idea. I should call. It, let's call up Chris Jericho see if he wants to do that with me." Yeah, because he's totally like Liger is the most unselfish person, probably in the history of wrestling. He doesn't care. Like he wants people to get over on him. He wants to be able to elevate people and and have people like get you know get the the rub from him he doesn't necessarily need the rub from anybody else so i i think if you presented that to him he'd be like yeah that, yeah so just now i should do that yeah yeah for sure <laughs> but uh that's my that's my <laughs> wish like that i would see like the return of super liger in the form of chris jericho wearing that costume again and maybe kishin jericho that would be very interesting but um <laughs> Let's wrap it up there with our our wish list. You have Hiromu, I have Chris Jericho for mm-hmm. Liger's retirement. Uh, Emily, this time let's let's tell people where can people find Emily Pratt. Oh, you can people can find my writing uh, for the most part on uprocks dot com slash pro wrestling. Um, I do a, like a review column, the best and worst of New Japan pro wrestling, and write about uh, various other things. Um, I also uh, contribute to Deadlock Pro Wrestling, deadlockpw.com. Um, if any issues of Mind Games magazines are out, or Mind Games magazine uh, are out when uh, this comes out and are not sold out, then I will have contributed to a very good <laughs> magazine. Um, and you can follow uh, just all my my projects, and if I'm ever on a podcast on uh twitter.com slash emily of pratt yeah like i said earlier one one of my favorite uh uh twitter handles in wrestling twitter but i i will say this emily you you can be a bit of a firebrand with some of your comments and 
As I know. People, I know. I, I don't care. Like I, I read those. I read like what other what other people get angry about. I laugh. I'm like, well, it's not. It's like I don't agree, but it's 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 a, it's a it's a it's a different opinion. But it's like I don't know why people are angry yeah. about this. It's like. Oh. Eh, it's like people say shit about me. I don't care. Like you know, I, it doesn't bother me. It's like okay, you have a different opinion than me. Okay, but like any, I, we won't go into specifics. But just I, I just want to let you know. Spicy of a, a Twitter account, but I have I don't know. Occasionally, I have had some hot takes that that people did not like, or comments comments that could have been worded in a nicer way. But it's mostly it's mostly uh, just just. Talking about stuff and wrestling, and uh, don't follow me to find someone getting into Twitter fights because no, no. I mostly do not get. No, no, into no I'm, not, I'm not trying to suggest that you get Twitter fights, but sometimes you, you'll you'll tweet something, okay. and people I know, like who I'm I'm friends yeah. with, will get angry about it, and I'm like, "What do you think?" Like, we'll talk about this privately, and I'm like, oh, "She's got a different opinion." Like, I I like her writing, so like, what's your problem? <laughs> Why she say this about this person or what or this this point about something? I'm like, who cares? If you don't like it, don't follow her. Like, like you don't you don't like half the things I say sometimes, and we're friends. It's like, anyways, I enjoy your Twitter. I just want to let you know I support your Twitter. I enjoy okay. your writing, and Thanks. keep keep Thanks. on doing it. I don't care if you make other people angry. It entertains me. Please keep doing it. That's all I want to say to you. That's all. So, thank anyways, you. thank you, Emily, so much for joining me on on Thunderstrike. I really enjoyed talking with you. I hope we can do something in the in the future again. Uh, please follow Emily at, on Twitter. Please follow her writings at all the different uh, outlets that she she mentioned in her plugs. And uh, thanks to all the listeners for for listening to this episode and keep supporting Thunderstrike throughout the, the course of its run. And and for Emily, I, for I want to say until uh, I talk to you on the next episode, I will say goodbye.